Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 149 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Nicole Abood about why millennials are basically the end of society as we know it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Today's podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists, and it's smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Clio Legal Practice Management Software. Clio makes running your law firm easier. Try it for free today at clio.com. So I'm a little afraid that <laughs> there could actually be someone out there who thinks I'm serious and that uh, millennials are a menace and we should be afraid of millennials and hate working with them. And I fear. think there are actually people out there who think I that. I think there are people who think that. I just want to clear up that I'm not one of them. <laughs> and so they can keep thinking whatever they need to think. But I was joking about there being a millennial menace. I mean, if we're being honest, I'm not sure I think millennials are a thing. Yes. I think the idea of this broad brush painting everyone who's born in a group of years as a monolith is actually a pretty stupid societal concept. Yeah. Personally. So it kind of brings up a topic that is relevant, which is, you know, people have different shared cultural experiences or totally. individual cultural experiences. Society looks different depending on where you are and how you grew up. And everybody wants to work differently with their lawyers. And I feel like, you know, we sort of design our practices to be the way we want it to be. And we haven't really invited clients into that process. And because everybody's different, maybe we ought to. Yeah. I mean, I think millennial or not, we don't need to start from the premise of this is what that group of people want. Right. And instead, we can do a thing like email all of our current past prospective clients and say, hey, we're rethinking how we communicate with clients. How would you like to be communicated with? Yeah, to be communicated with. How would you like me to communicate <laughs> with you? Yes. And, you know, Nicole and I are going to talk about that a little bit and the, the value of collaborating with your clients and working with them instead of just dictating the terms of the relationship. Why not let them have a part of it? So before we talk with Nicole, here's a brief conversation I had with one of our sponsors, Bloomberg Law. Hi, I'm Nancy Furman-Paul, and I'm a commercial product director at Bloomberg Law, uh, where I oversee our business intelligence and business development resources. Bloomberg Law is a legal research platform, but we're more than just a legal research platform. What really makes us different is that we also fully integrate business intelligence into our product. And this comes directly from Bloomberg, our parent company, including company markets, financial and industry information, uh, as well as news that we then augment with different analytical tools to make all of this information really useful for lawyers to use in service of business development. So, hi, Nancy. Thanks for being with us. And tell me more. What is business intelligence? That's a very corporate sounding term, and maybe you can break it down for us. Sure. And it's, it's a pretty broad term. It starts with all of the business and financial information that's out there. Uh, and it's really what you do with it. It requires sifting through a lot of massive data sets and disparate information, again, from news, financial information, legal information, taking that and really honing in on what's most important for you 
as a lawyer or who, a business person to be able to help you advise your clients and when you're a lawyer to be able to provide legal advice that's not just correct, really practical, contextualized and business focused and therefore more helpful to your clients more than just providing legal advice in a vacuum. So it's kind of a high-end analysis of what's going on in a particular area of business. Correct. I think that's that's a good way of, of putting it. It's sort of what you do. It's not just the information, but sort of what you do with it, how you interpret it and apply it to achieve better results. So if I'm logged into Bloomberg Business Intelligence Center, I mean, what am I looking at? Am I looking at news articles? Am I looking at opinion pieces by Bloomberg's experts um, or graphs and charts? What, what am I actually finding there? I would say yes, all of the above to everything there. Um, again, it, it's not just what we have. So we have access to over 75,000 news sources on Bloomberg Law, but it's also what we do with them. We make them searchable by really strategic filters like possible regulatory investigations, possible sales or mergers, possible bankruptcies, rumors, negative news. We do the same thing with our dockets database. We have a huge docket database. We then give users the ability to spot trends like who are the law firms representing a particular company in litigation? What kind of cases are being litigated? Which courts do the companies appear in and the law firms appear in most? We do the same thing with deal information, with SEC filings, financial information, company profiles, again, that let you target specific companies, let's say within an industry or specific region, or that may be heading toward bankruptcy, all of which really lets you take these individual data points and make them meaningful for spotting trends and anticipating legal issues and acting on them. So it's articles, it's graphs, it's charts, it's numbers. We have great charts and graphs in our litigation analytics tool. Uh, and even if, and especially if you're not a litigator, but you're representing a company and you just need to get a high-level snapshot, the tool is really helpful in extracting that really valuable, quick information. So how should lawyers use business intelligence to develop more business from their clients? That's a great question. I like to sort of think of business development in three different buckets, all of which I think good business intelligence can support. The first area of business development is doing good legal work for your existing clients. So as I mentioned before, business intelligence gives you uh, that business-focused, practical, contextual legal advice or enables you to give that legal advice that'll make your clients happy with your work and more likely to reach out to you in the future and refer you to others. So that's one form of business development and how business intelligence can help you. The second is really using business intelligence to anticipate legal issues on the horizon that could affect your clients down the road and reaching out to them proactively to address those needs and possibly mitigate risk before there's an even bigger legal issue. So, for example, you could use business intelligence to track news about a business or industry in your area that may be facing financial issues or is considering relocating. And with this information, you can reach out to local businesses and advise them on how these issues might affect their customer base, their relationships with local suppliers or distributors, or even how to negotiate lease terms to take uncertainties about what's going on in the area into account. And it's reaching out to existing clients, but also writing articles or speaking in your communities about these trends and issues on the horizon to elevate your brand and expertise in your area in a very substantive and practical way to create a reason for clients or new clients to seek you out for legal help. 
And then I think the third bucket, so we had, you know, doing work for existing clients, anticipating legal issues for clients, whether they're existing and new. And the third is really area of business development is really prospecting for new clients altogether. So again, business intelligence can be really helpful. You can use it to identify specific businesses in your community to reach out to, maybe potential clients against whom a complaint has been filed in court. So you can approach them and offer representation or maybe discovering who you might know, kind of discovering personal relationships, somebody who might work at a company or a business um, that you want to approach and finding out their background, maybe connecting someone you went to law school with who's at a company and using that as an opening. And then once you actually get those meetings and, and reach out to those new contacts, all of that same business intelligence, again, will make you informed and incredible when you walk in the door. So that you can, again, do this good legal work and go back to sort of that first prong of business development and keep this positive business development cycle going. Okay, great. If you're interested in learning more about Bloomberg Law and Business Intelligence Center, you can go to bna.com slash Bloomberg Law and click on Business Intelligence Center under Practice Areas. And now, here's my conversation with Nicole. I am Nicole Aboud, and I am a millennial speaker, a podcaster, a former attorney, but most importantly, I am the owner of Aboud Media, which is a video branding and podcasting agency helping lawyers build their brands online, and I'm super happy to be here. I, I love the feeling that, you know, we're like, oh, there's a millennial, like, let's go ask her about millennial things. Yes. <laughs> Pick my brain. <laughs> okay, but before we do that, yeah, you are a podcaster, and for what the last couple of years, you had Gen Y Lawyer. Mm-hmm, yeah, so that is still going on. That is my first podcast. It launched in March of 2015, and like you said, the Gen Y Lawyer. It's it's been great. It's still going on, and I just launched another show uh, earlier this month called Leaders Love Company. Wow. Which is um yeah, which is focused on a little bit. So it's not law related. It's actually business leadership focused. And if you like this podcast and you think you might like uh, a podcast sort of like this, but with a millennial focus, that's pretty much what Gen Y Lawyer is. It's a good podcast. Well done. Thank you. Which I guess is me patting myself on the back as much as you. (laughs) It kind of, yeah, it was complimenting both of us. I liked it. (laughs) So, and you're helping lawyers do their own podcasting now, right? Yes, I am. So that actually came about pretty organically, which is not something I usually say, but I launched my business earlier this year in January, and the goal was just to create videos for lawyers for marketing and branding purposes. But I started getting a lot of interest from lawyers um, regarding starting their own podcasts because I think they had seen that I've been doing it for a while and I'm fairly good at it. Uh, So they reached out, wanted me to help them just set it up initially. And then more and more, they wanted me to be more involved in the actual production. Um, And then what happens after you put it up online. So yes, I incorporated that as an actual service that I offer. Very cool. So um, so I'm going to spring on you the question that we haven't really addressed on Lawyerist yet, which is should lawyers podcast, right? Like Serial was huge, got everybody interested in podcasts, especially lawyers who were like, ooh, a legal mm-hmm. podcast is the biggest thing ever. Um, yeah. Maybe I should do one. And, and like I admit, that's when we launched Lawyerist. We were like, hey, we should probably do one. And it's been good for us. But so should lawyers do it? <laughs> Yes. Good question. Um, and it's funny you haven't addressed that yet on the show. I feel like I talk about it online all the time. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's 
I hate to give this answer. It is the lawyer answer. And it's, it depends. I can't definitely say yes or no, but I think it depends on a few things. So if you are a lawyer who really enjoys, um, sharing what they know orally, so you are better at speaking than writing, and you know, you want to dive into some kind of content creation effort, then maybe, maybe a podcast is the right way to go. All right. That sounds good. Yeah. Is, oh, that's good enough. That's yeah. it. No, no, I'm keep going. I, no, tell me the rest. I like it. <laughs> well, I think, I think most importantly, and I know a lot of people won't say this, but I think if you have the personality for it, you know, cause if, and I, not to insult any lawyers out there, but the law can be rather dry and assuming lawyers are creating a show about the law, you really have to up the personality. Cause that's all there is. That's all that listeners are going off of, right? Your voice. So you have to have the right, um, t- the right personality for what you're talking about. So that's another reason. And finally, if you can dedicate the time and effort, because man, podcasting takes so much time to not just create, but to really get to pick up any kind of momentum and really get listeners to buy into you and, and your show. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are the three things I'd look for. I'm I'm fully on board with all of those things because I, you know, to me, it's a little bit reminiscent of when blogging became a thing, like whatever, 10 years ago or whatever it was. And a lot of people, me included, were like, oh yeah, of course lawyers should blog. And then what happened is a whole bunch of really shitty blogs popped up yeah. and nobody updated them and there wasn't anything interesting on them. And so I'm, I'm totally down with the, it depends. Yeah. But you know what? At the same time, I feel bad. Like, I don't want to be the one who judges what's good and what's bad. Um, so I feel like if I think a podcast is boring, maybe a listener thinks it's great and they find value in it. So who am I to tell the lawyer not to do it? <laughs> I think it, I, I guess I think, yeah, I know. I think you're right. And it's like, if you, Um, think you're an interesting person and you've got kind of a character that you can Mm -hmm. play out on, on a podcast. And, and if you are compelled to produce content and audio resonates with you, then you're probably within the the small minority of lawyers who actually should consider starting a podcast. Right. Exactly. So now that I, since I have a captive millennial, uh, I'm going to ask millennial questions and I'm just going to say at the outset, I am technically a zennial, which I believe uh, I can present my credentials as being qualified to talk to both millennials and Gen Xers. Yes, you are in the middle. And zennial is what, like they changed it. It's 1980 or wait, 1970. I think it's like 77 to 83 or something like that. 83. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I, so I was born in 1986. I I feel like I'm closer to probably the Zennial generation. Wait, you may have been kicked out of the millennials. Like the whole thing is a fraud. I know. Maybe (laughs) it's It's very possible. I don't, I feel like it needs to go in 10 year increments, not 20. You know what I mean? Cause I, there's such a difference. So so I'm a millennial. My younger sister is 20. She's a millennial as well, but we are very different and Mm -hmm. we've had very different experiences growing up and we see the world so differently. So it really should be 10 years, which is okay. So like part of, I want to call bullshit on the whole millennial thing because (laughs) It's a, it's a range of experiences and things, but if we're just going to go with it, like the, what is a millennial? Like what, what are the characteristics of that generation or the shared experiences that, that give it its qualities that make us give it a name? Mm -hmm. What is it? Okay. So it is, so millennials are defined. So it's either millennial or gen Y generation Y, and they are individuals born between 1980 and 2000, roughly, right? That's the time limit they gave Mm -hmm. it. Um, the general characteristics, I would say, uh, we are very diverse. We are highly educated, right? We grew up, um, our parents stressed the importance of getting a good education. We believe that having more degrees meant more opportunities. We are digital natives, which means we are comfortable with technology because we kind of grew up with it for the most part. Um, those are kind of the big defining characteristics, um, that I would, that are probably the most relevant for this conversation. And okay. So like, 
the reason I think we're all talking about millennials now is that apparently no, like five years ago or so when millennials started entering the workforce, nobody noticed. But now, like all of a sudden, everybody's freaked out by, oh, my God, these millennials are so hard to work with. They're so hard to manage or the clients have different expectations. The Part of the reason why I think the whole thing is a little bit bullshit is because people are just like, oh, my God, my clients want something different than they did 10 years ago, which is true all the time. Mm-hmm. But let's let's kind of address that. Like, So when it comes to clients who are millennials who now have enough money and legal problems that they are encountering lawyers, can we like pull out some qualities that help us identify what clients who are millennials want from their lawyers? And so on the other side, what lawyers need to do to, to serve that client base? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about it. And, um, but just, I guess quickly to address what you just said. So you calling bullshit on it. (laughs) I have, I have agree with it. I can't just let it go because I agree. I think that there are a lot of just changes in society in general. And I don't know if we can necessarily attribute them to the millennials. It could just be, I don't know, changes, right? Things change all the time, but I also can't discredit or discount what the millennials are bringing to the workplace as well. Um, so all these experiences that we had growing up, we are bringing it with us and that's changing the workplace culture, I suppose. I guess, but, I guess what I think is it is not the fact that, you know, some range of years tends to define a generation. It's more that like, I think everybody whining about millennials is bullshit because yeah. I think it is a fact that society and culture changes all the time and our job is not to be grumpy and object to that but to just roll with it so i guess yeah it's not the millennials it's the i agree so sorry for talking (laughs) over you yeah no i completely agree i think whining about anything is bullshit and i feel like that should be the title of this show but you're right it's adapting like this is the message i'm hoping people get take away from this as a law firm as a lawyer you need to adapt and change and whether that means acknowledging the young generation of employees that are in your firm and recognizing what they bring to the table or just acknowledging what's happening in with technology and in society and adapting as well. So it doesn't matter what generation is the latest one to come into your firm. You need to change. You need to adapt and be malleable. Yeah. So that said, when a millennial walks into your firm, what do they want? Yeah. So I've kind of identified a few things that millennials look for when they're looking to hire an attorney. And I think the most obvious and probably one of the most important ones is the fact that you as a lawyer or as a law firm exist online, right? So more than likely millennials, and I I would imagine most people in general are going to turn online first to search for answers to their legal questions, any kind of legal issue they might have. And the fact that there's so much information online, you know that they're going on Google and typing in whatever issue they're having. So you want to be that lawyer who shows up with the answer, who is providing that solution to them before they even know who you are, before they even meet you. So first of all, be online. So have a website, have a social media presence, right? I would argue that's even more important than a website in some regards, right? Because with social media, you can actually be uh, engaged and communicate and have a conversation with potential clients, which I know is risky territory (laughs) for a lot of lawyers. Um, but be engaged online and just exist. So that's the first thing. I think I, what I hear you saying there is that your social media presence, your online presence is a normal part of, of who a person is in 2017. Um, and so we should be a little bit alarmed at the eye-gougingly huge percentage of lawyers who don't even have a Facebook profile. Yes. I, yeah, they don't no, exist. It's true. <laughs> and yeah. I feel that, right. And I think some lawyers can still get away with it because maybe they've been practicing for so long. They have their book of business. They're good. But I think for new lawyers coming in um, or those who have been practicing for a little while, you need to have some kind of presence because it's, it's, 
an extension of who you are. And it's a way for you to build relationships when you're not able to go to a networking event five times a week, for example, you can build a relationship online when you're just at home, right? Or still in the office. So yeah, it's definitely an extension of who you are and an extension of your brand. When you're contemplating a lawyer um, as a millennial or you're building relationships, it, it feels pretty weird when somebody is just not on social media or doesn't have an online presence. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. If someone goes to, if somehow someone gets a hold of your name um, and they go and Google you. So actually that's the thing. A lot of lawyers say, I get all my clients from referrals, word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And I always say, okay, that's great. But I'm sure when someone refers um, a friend to a lawyer, that friend is going to go look you up regardless. You know, they're not just going to call you blindly. I suppose, and, and like if, if lawyers listening and going, but I don't really have any millennial clients. The answer is probably that they're trying to find you and what they're finding is that you don't really exist online. And so they're going somewhere else. Exactly. And you know, we are quickly becoming, if we haven't already, the largest generation in America. So more than likely you are going to have a millennial client at some point because you're going to run out of clients in, in the other generations. Mm -hmm. um, Eventually so they'll give up and come to you anyway. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's true. So yeah, be available, be present and be engaged online. So don't just have a profile, but uh, post, post on your Facebook, right? Post relevant content, post your thoughts, post a blog article that you might've written, show that you're active. Uh, that's definitely important. So I've, I've heard that your people being the millennials, um, <laughs> are place a lot of emphasis on sort of authenticity and bringing your whole self to, um, to your online presence, to your, to your workplace. And, um, and so, I notice a lot of lawyers um, have a very sort of advertising -y presence online, mm, yeah. and and that that doesn't seem to be the right way to be online to me. No, not at all. So for some reason, we just have an aversion to sales in general. If we feel like someone is trying to sell to us, it's going to turn us off. It's going to shut us down. We're not going to want to work with that person. Mm -hmm. uh, so with that said, and relating to the authenticity hot topic, I guess, or the buzzword nowadays, it's, yeah, it's important for a lawyer to just be themselves, um, to try to show some personality in whatever they're doing online or in their web or on their website. And I think that that is easier said than done because obviously we have ethical rules. A lot of lawyers worry that if they show the show that they're having a drink on the weekend, that's going to ruin their credibility or it's going to make them look less professional. And of course you need to use common sense in what you're posting. Don't show that you're, <laughs> you're um, doing a keg stand or like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Going to a party on the weekend. But you know what, if you're grabbing a, a drink with a friend uh, over the weekend, that's okay. I mean, that's what people do. We are human after all. And more than likely, someone's going to relate to that. A potential client might relate with uh, to the fact that you drink a certain wine or you you have a certain dog because you post a picture of you walking your dog. You know what I mean? Like that's the human element of being a lawyer. Don't be a cardboard cutout online, basically. Exactly. So, um, so when it comes to uh, other ways that you might structure the relationship, um, let's talk about like, say, does the nature of what millennials want and need suggest anything about the way that lawyers and clients uh, might want to work together? Yes. So another thing that millennials value is collaboration. So even as a client, uh, millennials want to feel like they are involved in the process, in the legal process, whatever they are reaching out to you for help with. And, um, 
because again, information is so readily available. This may or may not be a good thing, but a lot of clients come with some knowledge of what needs to happen, which again, is not always the best thing. Cause then lawyers have to undo what they've learned if they've learned incorrectly. But mm -hmm. We, as millennials, we want to feel like we are, we know what's happening with our case, right? We want to be able to access information about our matter kind of at all hours of the day, um, which doesn't mean that lawyers need to always be available and picking up their phone calls or responding to emails, but it does mean that they need to set up some online portal or some way for clients to be able to go in, check what's happening, get the peace of mind that they need and, and just handle what they need to handle without um, wondering what's going on with my case. I haven't heard from my lawyer in a few weeks. So yeah, there definitely needs to be some kind of collaborative element uh, with representing a millennial. I, I analogize this. Uh, this resonates with me. And, and I think it sounds similar to like if I wake up at one o'clock in the morning uh, and I can't stop my mind from racing, I may, you know, pull Facebook down to refresh it a few times. And hmm. there's nothing probably new happening on Facebook at 1.30 in the morning, but Facebook gives me something to do <laughs> yeah. that, that, that tickles that endorphin or whatever it is. And I feel like, I think what you're saying is lawyers need to find a way to, to let your clients check in in some way, even if it's three in the morning. Yeah, they kind of do. Because for you, it's just being bored or maybe it's insomnia, but for someone who has some kind of uh, who find themselves in litigation, that right. it's just stress and concern. So if you can do something to ease that, um, then you definitely should. I, that sounds like nobody, even, even the most unreasonable millennial probably expects you to personally respond to an email at three in the morning. But my guess is this isn't always on. I mean, the world is always on right now. We all have yeah. notifications all the time. There is no excuse for getting, for giving people like, I will return to your message in two days, autoresponder or something, right? I mean, so I, I think that depends on the lawyer. I know that a lot of lawyers worry about boundaries and mm -hmm. work-life balance and all that. And I understand that. So if you are someone who is not comfortable um, appearing like you're always available, then that is a decision you can make. <laughs> but again, there are, there are so many there's software, there are services out there that can help you automate a lot of these things and set up the portals and um, make it appear like you are responding or at least letting them know that you'll get back to them soon without you physically doing it. Lots of lawyers seem to be hypothesizing that, you know, every practice should be virtual and we should be communicating, you know, via text message or email or secure portals or whatever. And that's how everything is going. Um, do you feel like uh, your people, uh, I'm going to keep saying your people because it makes me chuckle. <laughs> I, I don't know if I should feel insulted. I'm like, my people? All right, let's go um, with it. <laughs> do, you think, do you think your people have um, expectations about the channel of communication, let's say? You know what? I don't think they do. I think it varies. Um, and it depends on each client individually, even among the millennial generation. So it's, I think the lawyer should just ask their client when they are onboarding them, just ask them, how do you want to be communicated with? Do you prefer a text message? Do you actually want to take a phone call? Um, do you just want email? So just find out what they want and it'll vary. I, I mean, I'm a millennial, but I actually really do like talking on the phone. <laughs> it kinda, I mean, that um, kind of goes back to you saying collaborate, right? Like work with your client, try and shape the representation to what they're looking for. Exactly. Yeah. So don't just assume, but ask them. So we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And uh, after that, we'll be back with part two about whining about anything is bullshit. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. 
When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone. Which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. You could invest in marketing your firm, you could spend more time helping clients in need, or you could catch your daughter's soccer game. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With Clio, tracking time, billing, and matter management are fast and easy, giving you more time to focus on what really matters. And Clio is a complete practice management platform with plenty of tools and over 50 integrations to help you automate daily tasks such as document generation and court calendaring. See how the right software can make it easier to manage your practice. Try Clio for free today at Clio.com. Okay, we're back. And okay, so we, we've been talking about what millennials clients want from their lawyers, and I'm sure we just scratched the surface of it. But um, but let's flip that because many of us have to work in the world. And um, as we started out with, millennials are now, you know, real people who have jobs mm-hmm. and things. So um, they're not all trying to be YouTube celebrities or living the van life. So you, those you who aren't... You don't want to do that. <laughs> oh, I, I follow if, van if I life could, on Instagram. <laughs> <It's> nice. <laughs> it's like my dream. <laughs> Bring a van big enough for the kids. But <laughs> I, I join you. <laughs> so how do we take these characteristics and apply them to the workplace? Like if, if you have employees or, or a boss or just a colleague, um, what are what are, say, the three or four things that... Um, millennials are going to value in their working life? Um, So I I guess before we talk about the three things they value, I think it's important to just address why we should care at all. So the lawyers Mm -hmm. who have employees uh, working for them or who are in a hiring position, you're probably wondering, why should I even care? I've been doing this for a while. I know how to hire. Uh, Again, we need to acknowledge that there are some differences in this generation and they're good, right? There are some good, valuable characteristics that you want to bring into your your law firm. So recognizing that we are the largest uh, generation in the workforce, that you might be in a position to start planning for your law firm succession, Um, recognizing that there's so much talent to be harnessed in this generation is, is important, right? So starting there is good. But I think what millennial colleagues of yours or your employees, what, what they value is flexibility. That's probably the biggest one. So flexibility in terms of the schedule. So that's the obvious, um, the obvious one being able to offering your employees, the option to work, to not always be in the office to do their work, right. Working remotely. Uh, there's, technology. So now it's possible to actually have FaceTime to um, do your work and be engaged when you're not necessarily physically in an office. Uh, And also, I think flexibility in decision making. So just acknowledging that millennial employees, even though they are new lawyers, and maybe they don't understand, uh, they don't have as much experience being a lawyer, they still came in with some kind of marketable skill or some kind of knowledge um, that you should really tap into to make your law firm better. I mean, there's a collaboration again, almost it's, you know, you don't just have a hierarchical structure where the boss bosses people around and you don't ever solicit feedback from the underlings. It's more like, yeah, invite people to be part of a team, not just a minion. 
Exactly. And I think, I mean, I feel like that, that is how it should be. Right. I think that more law firms should be that way because they've just been so, they have been so hierarchical for so long. And we see that that's not, not necessarily sitting well with the millennials. So there's a lot of tension, but I would imagine everyone in the law firm would benefit if they felt like they actually were valued and they were being heard and their ideas were listened to and whether they're good or not, that's a different story, but at least acknowledge that these people have ideas and it could help. <laughs> yeah. Aaron um, said recently about a conversation he was overhearing that, um, about, you know, all, all the demands millennials have somebody who a Gen Xer said, well, I want all that stuff too. I just didn't know I could ask for it. Well, mm, exactly. Millennials are just smarter. I, well, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know about that. It's just I, again, more, more education anyway. <laughs> right. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, no, it's just, again, it's just the culture that we grew up in. I don't know what it is that makes us more vocal about what we actually want. Um, but if you, if you grew up feeling like you couldn't ask what, for what you wanted, it's, it's going to be more difficult to do so. So I can see why Gen Xers just didn't. Um, but yeah, just being vocal about what you want. And of course, as a millennial, use common sense as to what you're regarding what you're asking for, right? So I think there's there's a line that can be crossed by any employee in terms of asking for exactly what they want for. But right. again, that's where common sense comes in. Well, there are two, there are two demanding people, uh, people who are too demanding in every generation. So yeah. That is true. So another thing that millennial employees look for is feedback. So that is really important. And I know a lot of law firms usually have some kind of annual review or biannual review, and that might not be sufficient anymore. Mm -hmm. So millennials really want to know how they're doing along the way. If they're working on a project or on a case, they want pretty consistent feedback. Now that doesn't mean every single day or every, every hour you have to check in and tell them, Oh, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Um, not at all, but set some kind of timestamp or um, marks of when you as an employer, as the supervisor want to go in and, um, give this employee feedback, whether it's positive or critical, um, and let them know how they're doing because they would hate to be working on something incorrectly for a long period of time only to get that annual review and then not have time to adjust or shift. I'm, I'm sorry. I think I've heard you say in the past that, um, it, it that, desire for constant ongoing feedback, it feels a little bit like, you know, you post something Instagram and people immediately let you know if they like it, right? Like, so you're <laughs> used to hearing instantly the effect of the things that you do. Yeah, that's true. But also I think, uh, uh, sorry, let me, let me take back all that. Um, also, I think that just feeling heard is what it comes down to. So mm -hmm. if an employer is giving this feedback and we're able, we being the millennial employees are able to, um, respond and, collaborate on what it is that they want or they expect from us, then we feel like we're also feel we're being heard, right? So we're expressing what we thought went right, what we thought went wrong, how we can improve. And it's not just a guessing game of what we think they want. They're telling us what they want and we either agree with it or don't and we can adjust. Well, and as you said, from the employer perspective, like why wait a year to tell somebody they've been doing something wrong? Um, why wait a month? Why wait a week? You know, <laughs> if somebody can improve, Tell them right away. And if they've done a good job, why wouldn't you pat them on the back right away and give them some more motivation? Seems like Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And it, it boosts morale. And again, it doesn't even have to be something so 
formal and stiff. You know what I mean? Like just going, dropping into the office of your employees, regardless of how, how old they are or what generation they're from, just drop in there and talk to them, you know, check in on them every once in a while, ask them how they're doing, how their family is doing, what's going on in their lives. All of, I mean, I think now we're going into a different conversation, but again, <laughs> it's just actually talking to your employees and he- hearing them out. So, and, and maybe this is kind of where that was going, but I, I've heard, uh, I've heard some of your people uh, talk about bringing their whole selves to work and that being a really important thing. Like, are we, are, is that seriously important that uh, if I'm going to hire a lawyer, I have to be comfortable with them having purple hair and nose rings? <laughs> oh, that is a good question. Yes is an um, okay answer, that, I think, actually. But <laughs> I get, okay, right? So that is not what I think of when I, when I think of bring your whole self. And okay. maybe because I've never had purple hair and, and a <laughs> ring. Um, but for me, it's more of, is your employee comfortable enough um, feeling like themselves and just being a being comfortable being who they are and letting that be sufficient, if that makes sense. So I guess to tie it mm-hmm. back to my experience when I, when I was practicing, um, the first few months were obviously a little bit tough cause I, there was a learning curve. It was, I was new to the profession. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but at the same time, I felt like I had to change my personality to fit the mold of what a, what a good lawyer, what a great lawyer should be like. And I think had my employer just told me, you know what, you have a great personality. You're going to do fine. Uh, just be you. I mean, that could have changed things, but I don't, I mean, I stopped working there. So that, that should tell you something, but (laughs) that's what I, that's what I hear when I think of bring your whole self, like you are okay as you are, you don't have to change (laughs) to, to fit any kind of stereotype. But, um, but also if you have purple hair, but you're a kick-ass lawyer, like why does it matter? Well, assuming you're not going to court, it shouldn't matter either. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) That's just outward appearance. I I think uh, you have to take to heart the, the idea of it, like that, that's not actually a characteristic that matters for your ability to do your job, then, mm-hmm. then don't worry about it. Yeah. So you said you phrased that much more eloquently than I did, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. That's what it is. That's it's like the, a mansplaining win for the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that one. <laughs> um, so we've been kind of shaping this whole conversation around a presentation that you gave at the Clio cloud conference this year. Um, so I've just revealed that we're cheating by using an existing outline, I guess, but, uh, but you okay. also mentioned growth opportunities as a really important thing that millennials are looking for. Yes, exactly. So, uh, just being able to offer any kind of training, any kind of um, CLE, as in paying for your employees to attend CLE trainings and conferences, um, offering in-house opportunities, of course, the whole mentorship. So mentor-mentee relationships, if you can establish some kind of program there, but always um, focusing on the growth of the individual lawyer, because as a millennial, that is something we really value. We don't want to, we want to continually grow. And that doesn't mean we want to leave the firm because we've outgrown it. Because if the firm is taking care of us, we're going to feel that sense of loyalty. And one way to take care of us is to continually help us improve. (laughs) So yeah, any kind of, um, any kind of programs that will help them become not just better lawyers, but I guess better human beings, better business developers, hmm. right? Just better people. You know, I, I think this is, that's a challenging one because uh, I, I remember, uh, you know, when I started out as a lawyer, one of my friends who was working at a firm uh, was struck by the realization that her last day practicing law was probably going to look a lot like her first day. Hmm. Um, you know, we do similar work for 20, 30, 40 years and then quit. And, um, and, and that doesn't automatically suggest a lot of growth opportunities, but the market is changing. And when I see newer firms 
um, you know, they have stated missions and values and you can rally a team around your mission and values. They've got um, different jobs than just you will sit here and clock hours churning paperwork. Mm -hmm. That isn't necessarily what newer firms look like. And so um, I think firms that are already responding to the way the market has changed are also responding to the need for growth opportunities, whether they're doing it deliberately or not. Exactly. And I think it goes back to that conversation about the hierarchy. I think the the pyramid within a law firm really should, the leadership pyramid really should be more flattened out. Um, and employers should give employees opportunities to, um, to, to build their skills, but not just as lawyers. So again, just allowing them to start that blog that's eventually going to bring in a new client, right? So it's empowering them to take initiative and, and do something that's not just their legal work. Cause again, these lawyers are miserable if that's all they're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why so many, there's a reason why we have such a high rate of substance abuse in the profession. And so many leave the profession. It's because if that's all they're doing, any human being is going to crack. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they need, <laughs> we need some kind of outlet. So giving your employees that outlet, whether it's even taking them out for an activity on the weekend, you know what I mean? Like those kind of things. So I, at the very beginning, I think we mentioned digital nativeness, native, yes. nativity, uh, nativity. <laughs> sure. That's a different thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and often I think when people hear millennials, they're like, you know, they automatically go, oh, I'm not tech savvy enough to deal with millennials or something. Is that like, is that actually a thing? I don't know anymore. I feel like everyone knows how to work a smartphone and that's really all there is to it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's I, like, I remember in, in high school, I took um, a keyboarding class where Mavis Beacon taught me how to, how to type. Right. <laughs> and I feel like now kids who are five years old can type faster than I am. So it's, you learn as you grow. Um, but also like technology is out there and everyone has access to it. So it's not like we have some secrets that, that baby boomers don't or Gen Xers don't. Right. So maybe we understand it a little bit faster, but it doesn't mean that anyone else can't pick up on it or learn it just as well. And there are so many Gen Xers and baby boomers who are totally kicking my ass on online. So it doesn't, you know what I mean? On Facebook and, and Instagram. So I don't think that means anything. Uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, you need to be tech savvy at the level of a normal human being moving through the world in 2017. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's actually a requirement, right? I think that's one of the ABA model rules. One would hope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've been yeah. fighting about that. <laughs> and, and you know what? It's, it's crazy why it's crazy to see lawyers who are resisting this because it is so much fun. I mean, aside from the fact that it's great for business and it's building your brand, the people you get to meet online that you cannot meet in person because they are across the country, across the world are phenomenal people. So the fact that you're not like you are not meeting them by not being online, you're really missing out on building amazing relationships. So that so it's fun. It's not just for business. Well, I like let's circle back to the beginning where I kind of tried to call bullshit and then you called bullshit on my bullshit. But um <laughs> it's the inception of bullshit. None of the, <laughs> it just it just keeps going. None of these things are like are crazy unreasonable stuff. Mm -hmm. Aren't these all just things that are more important to millennials and that we all wish we would have thought to raise and insist on earlier. Yes. And I feel like we can't, we can't spread that rumor because then no one will invite me to speak at conferences. <laughs> and now we've arrived at my devious plan. <laughs> I know. Right. No. And, and that's, and I kind of told you before we started, I'm, I don't consider myself a millennial expert. I just think these are just regular human commonsensical things. And I, I don't know if I'm just 
very in tune to these things, but you're right. Like it's not something just millennials want. It's something everyone wants. Every employee wants to feel like they belong. They don't want to hate their lives when they go to work. They want, they want flexibility, right? They want to be able to see their kids and go to soccer games. Everyone wants to grow. And again, if, if a particular person doesn't, it doesn't mean that's reflective of the whole generation. It's just that person doesn't want flexibility. They want to be in the office all the time. So yeah, these are just general human needs that we all want as employees. Well, that said, I'm glad you made the expedition from millennial land to tell us about your people. <laughs> it was far. It was a far journey. If people want to know more about you and what you're up to, where should they go? Sure. So um, I think the best website to visit is abudmedia.com. So that is my business. You can find out more about what I do. But on Instagram is where I love to share behind the scenes of my life. So now that I'm not practicing anymore, I talk about what I'm doing to build my business. I talk about leadership. So my Instagram handle is at Nick underscore Abud. So it's N-I-C underscore A-B-B-O-U-D. And if you don't understand uh, Instagram or stories, Nicole's Instagram is like a um, a 101 course on how to do it. So <laughs> not, not by, by, dem- by example, <laughs> not because it's an instructional thing, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, Nicole, thanks so much for being with us today. I really enjoyed this podcast. Me too. Thank you for having me. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.